0: our place. You endured our wrath and you made it possible for us to live. You made it possible for us to believe to be free from our sin and our shame and our guilt. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the power and the wonderful working of your blood in our lives. And We will forever be grateful. We will forever give you praise and glory because of it. And we will forever be encouraged and comforted by it. Who you are for what you've done. For that we give you praise. And all God's people said. God bless you. You may be seated. Good morning. morning. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for the blood of Jesus? Amen. There is no hope outside. That precious blood. Have your Bibles. Turn with me please to 1 Kings 17. We're going to begin with verse 17. And this is a two part message this is called the god that raises the dead the god that raises the dead next week we'll look at the prayer that the prophet prayed and we'll break it down and glean from it but this morning the god that raises the dead part one first Kings 17 starting with verse 17 sometimes later the son of the woman who owned the house became ill he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied, and he took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought tragedy upon this widow that I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times, and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry. Aren't you glad he hears your cry? And the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to the mother and said, Look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth, is the truth. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that indeed you are a God that raises the dead. You are a God that makes a way. You are a God that brings forth power and might and works wonders in the lives of your people. And we thank you for that. We believe you for that. We expect you to continue to do that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The God who raises the dead. We continue our sermon series on the life of the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah was the instrument that God raised up to confront the spiritual darkness in the moral corruption of his day. It was a time of national backsliding and a falling away from the Lord. And wicked King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel, they go down in history, the Bible says this, as the most evil to ever sit on Israel's throne. And they did more to provoke the Lord than any before them. That's not a good testimony. They killed his priests. They murdered the prophets. They smashed down the altars. They made Baal worship the official religion of the kingdom. The covenants of God were forgotten. The commandments of God were forsaken. The worship of the Lord was outlawed. But thank God, thank the Lord, in the darkest of times, God raises up a voice. And Elijah was that voice. Elijah was the one that stood apart from the corruption but stood for, spoke up for the living God. You know, friends, you got to speak up for something. Let's speak up for Jesus. Amen? you got to stand for something or you're standing for nothing. Stand up for the Lord. Be bold in Jesus and speak it forth and live it right. Can you say amen? Elijah just walks into the king's presence. He announces God's judgment of drought upon a backslidden land. And then, led of the Lord, he goes first to the brook Cherith where he stayed for that year and the ravens fed him twice a day every day. And then from there, when the brook dries up, he goes to Zarephath, to this Gentile widow's home. And God miraculously feeds him and her, day by day, day by day, a perpetual miracle. And now if we draw attention to verse 17, it says, sometime later, sometime later. After courageously confronting Ahab, and then first at the brook, and now at the lady's home, he's been protected, he's been provided for. Considering he's the most wanted man in the kingdom, it's actually been pretty peaceful. He's growing and he's maturing and God is preparing and God is readying his servant for what lies ahead for the ultimate showdown with those false prophets of Baal. But now comes another test. Friend, there's always going to be another test. Don't let it unsettle you. Don't let it overly discourage or despair you. There are always going to be another test. They come. They're part of life. They'll help us grow if we respond to them properly. Jesus said, in this world you shall have troubles, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And listen, if He's overcome the world, so can you, because you're with Him. Can you say Amen? Another test. A woman's son dies. They escape the famine just to... Go through that. She lived for that boy. It's all she had. That was her one bright spot in life. It was her hope. It was her future. In an age when there's no social security that children and grandchildren are going to take care of her. Impossible. To feel her heart, but we can hear the sorrow, the bitterness, and the pain in her voice. Yet because we know how the story ends, we understand that God was working in her life, even through this situation. By the end of the chapter, verse 24, she knows and she believes and she trusts in the living God like never before. Let us remember as we walk through life that God is working. God is working. Sometimes it's hard to see, impossible to feel, but rest assured you that know and love the Lord this morning. God is working. God is in control. His grace is sufficient. He's working His good work in your life. Friend, rest in that strength. Find, find, find peace in that truth. The Lord is in control. The Lord is not far away. He's close and He's compassionate and He's gonna work His good work in your life. Verse 24 concludes with her confession and testimony. Now I know. Now I know. I want to look at three things this morning that the widow sees to bring her to that point. Three things that help her to actually get a stronger, more sincere faith in the true and living God through this trial. Number one, let's talk about she witnesses, she experiences the consistency of Elijah's life. Secondly, she experiences the compassion of Elijah's love. And then lastly, he is the God that raises the dead. She experiences the capability of Elijah's Lord. Number one, she experiences the consistency of Elijah's life. You see, over a period of time, she had been with this righteous man. His, his consistent godly life brought conviction and the awareness of god into her humble home verse 18 kind of reveals her thoughts i'm caught i'm caught she says here what do you have against me man of god do you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son now maybe she was still worshiping baal while god was providing maybe we don't really know what this sin was One commentator writes, the widow concludes that Elijah's presence in her house had called God's attention to her sin and brought divine punishment. Hey, obviously she's looking through things through her pagan upbringing and background, but the fact is, there was great conviction and she was in the presence of a godly man. This we do know. The consistency of our lives as we walk, as we witness for the Lord Jesus properly, is one way that God the Holy Spirit communicates, convinces, and convicts others of their need of God and the truth of the Gospel. The consistency of our walk helps confirm the Gospel. While inconsistency, compromise, diminishes the credibility and actually damages the testimony of the child of God. Now you can count on this. The consistency of a godly life, will bring conviction to those around you that aren't living like they ought to live. Honesty. Purity. Fidelity. Integrity. They'll do that. The unwillingness to laugh or listen to certain things. To lie when everyone's lying. To partake of what everyone's partaking of. To put up what others put up with. The keeping of a godly, a Bible standard in your home, on the job, In the store, among friends, will be used of the Spirit. Jesus referred salt and light. Salt and light. Listen, friend, don't you ever apologize for living right and obeying the book. I want to say that again. Don't you ever apologize. We've gone so backwards in this land. Here the righteous got to apologize for being righteous. in the devil's crowd, they want to act like they're doing normal. They're not normal. They're lost and they're coming against God. Don't ever apologize for living right. For living according to the book. Even if it makes others feel uncomfortable in their sin. that's good because conviction leads to repentance. And repentance brings to salvation. I want to look at two verses, and there's many verses that show us the importance of a consistent walk in witness with the Lord. Let's look at 1 Peter 2 and verse 12. 1 Peter 2 and verse 12. Now there are many others. I just picked two this morning. In the third chapter of this same book, Peter is going to talk about the importance of a consistent witness in the home. How your consistent witness will win over or help to win over and minister to an unsafe spouse. Your consistent walk. Peter talks about that in the third chapter. First Thessalonians, Paul, the NIV uses the phrase your daily walk, your daily life. And he speaks about your daily life. Just don't won't be a busybody. Just live for God in your daily life, and it'll win respect to those around you, so they'll be open to hear the gospel. So again, that consistent walk of the believer is a tool that the Holy Spirit uses. Here's an example. Peter writes, live such good lives among the pagans, that that world out there, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. That word see means they may observe over a period of time. There are people you work with, people that are next door to you. Not the people you just see one time, but people that know your life and see your, they may see your good deeds and, and glorify God on the day He visits us. When God moves them, there's a crisis moment in their life. Your life helps enforce the gospel. Your life helps them to believe the gospel. Here God uses the consistent life as a tool the Spirit uses to prepare hearts of others. To help people to come to a point of believing when the crisis time of life comes. The context here is in the neighborhood or on the, in the co-workers. As they observe our lives over a period of time that supports the gospel, it affects their view of the gospel and is used by the Spirit to help bring them to a place of believing the gospel. The importance of a consistent godly life to touch the world and to influence others for Christ. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4 and 12. Here's another example of the importance of a consistent life to help those around you, even those that are saved, to be encouraged in their faith and to be motivated to live for God. Now here, Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. You can use fill fill in the blank. Don't argue about things. Get away from always debating about things. Just walk it. Just live it. Just be consistent in it. Can you say Amen. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. That word example means be a pattern. Everybody know what a pattern is? It's a consistent measure that you can use. If you get out that pattern, it's the same today. It's going to be the same tomorrow. There's a pattern. It's a consistent measure. It's not changing with the times. It's not changing with the emotion. Don't let anyone look down on you, but He doesn't say debate them. He doesn't say arm wrestle with them. He says no, but set an example for them. Live the life before them. And look at the areas that He encourages us to strive to be an example and to be a pattern in. He says, be an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity, in purity. Oh, what a thought, what a thought. A consistent measure that helps and assists others in their growth and in their faith. Let's strive to be consistent. A pattern in the things of God. Let the young believer be able to see how a godly man is supposed to treat his wife when he sees the pattern of a man of God, an older man treating his wife. When someone comes into the house of God and they wonder, how are you supposed to worship? Let them be able to see men and women of God on fire for Jesus, unashamed, to praise the Lord and lift up their hands. We're a pattern. Those that observe your life when they see you going through things, Instead of acting pious in one place and then carnal in the other, let them see how godly men and women go through trials. Let them see a pattern of real integrity, of real faith in action. Faith under fire. That's where real faith is seen. Let us be a pattern. The importance of a consistency. Consistent living in our walk, in our witness, in our words, in our works. Consistent living unto the Lord in our lives and in our lips has an effect on those around us. And is used by the Holy Spirit to confirm, to convince the gospel and others of the truth of the gospel. Of their need of the gospel. Again, Jesus writes and Jesus spoke in Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16 about we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's a whole teaching on its own. And there's many points underneath light and salt. But let me just give you a a couple that, uh, that explain what he's saying. Jesus says you're the salt of the earth. Well, one thing we know about salt—you ever hear salt in the wound? Salt can sting. Amen. In a righteous life, will sting an ungodly life. You can put that down. A righteous life has that stinging; it stings, it stings. But salt in the wound—well, the conviction in the wound of the ungodly. But also, you know what else salt does? Salt creates thirst. There ought to be something in our lives that actually attracts people to want to know the Lord. Salt, and we living for Jesus. There should have a salty effect also, where people see, man, I'd like to have a marriage like that. Well, get Jesus in it, and you might. Can you say amen? Well, I'd like to be able to have, well, you know, get the Lord in it. And there's something about salt that creates thirst, amen? How about light? Jesus, you're the light of the world. You're consistent testimony. Well, one thing light does, is certainly exposes things people try to keep hidden. (laughs) Well, there, there's the negative part. There's the conviction part. Amen? When, when you're living right, it kind of exposes. That's the, but also, light illuminates. Light helps people see clearly. Light enables people to say, oh, oh that's what a Christian is. That's alright. Oh, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So again, this woman experiences the consistency of Elijah's life. God uses our consistent walk and witness To affect others. The Holy Spirit will use that. Let us strive to live for Jesus properly, faithfully, consistently as becoming a true child of God even though we live in a very corrupt culture in a fallen world. read a story some uh, some years ago, but it always kind of gets the point across. As a result of poor planning, Dennis from Katy, Texas, That's outside Houston, I believe. He needed some same day dry cleaning. He remembered on the other side of town, there was a huge sign that said, one hour dry cleaning. So he made the trip to the other side of town and drove out of his way and he dropped off his suit. And after filling out the tag, he said to the clerk, I'll be back in about an hour or so. Lady looked at him and said, I can't get that back to you until Thursday. He said, What do you mean? It says, um, one hour dry cleaning. She says, oh, that's just a sign. That's just advertisement. (laughs) How many know many Christians can be guilty of false advertising also? Of saying one thing, but producing another thing. May it never be said of us that we are guilty of false advertising. But we're going to live what we believe And we're going to be a consistent example of what a Christian ought to be. Can somebody say Amen? Amen. Number one, she experiences the consistency of Elijah's life. Number two, she experiences the compassion of Elijah's love. Look at that in verses twenty through nineteen through twenty-one. Nineteen says, "Give me your son, give me your son." He took her, took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on the bed. Now. He takes the brunt of her blow as she blasts away. He could have been offended. He could have said, <laughs> "Blame me, hey! When I came, you were down to your last donut." But here we see Elijah's compassion. Now, this is important for us. This is important. He realized her outburst of anger was just a product of her pain. You know, many times people get mad and and. <laughs> It's easy to take it personal, but have you ever been broadsided by someone else's hurt? Have you ever been hit by someone else's pain? If you deal with people, you have to, it comes. But often what they're venting about isn't really even the the, the main issue. It's something else. It's personal, private pain. But if the prophet can somehow learn to get past her anger, get beyond the words of blame and accusation, then he can help her. That's an important thing. If we want to be used to the Lord for Jesus' sake, when we minister to others, let's put on some tough skin. Let's look beyond the present outbursts and pain. Let's try to walk in love that God can use us in lives that are hurting and angry. Verse 19, notice what he says. He says, give me your son. Give me your son. She stood there, tears streaming down her face and holding the body of her son in her arms. And Elijah just reaches out his and takes him into his arms. He knows that there's nothing that he could say at that moment that will satisfy this grieving mother. There's no words from him that can soothe her stricken spirit. He can't reason. He can't defend. He can't explain. He simply asks her to place her burden in his arms. This is the compassion of Elijah. In gentleness, he stood silent under her blast. In humility and faith, he doesn't fall apart at the seams or argue with her or God because of what's going on. He simply asks her to place her burden in his arms. You know, God's like that. The God we serve is just like that. He calls out to us. He calls out to you and I this morning. And He says, put it in my arms. The loss that still afflicts. The rejection that still stings. The forgiven sin that still shames. And the failure that still condemns. Whatever the burden is, you're still carrying. Whatever the pain is, you're still enduring. Jesus calls and bring it to me. Lay it at my feet and put it in my arms. For Jesus says to us today, I'll take it. I'll carry it. I'm still the healer of wounded hearts. I'm still the burden bearer of my people. Somebody bring the pain to Jesus. Someone bring the disappointment to Jesus. Don't let it torment you and agonize you and afflict you any longer. Bring it to the Lord and ask Him to minister. Ask Him to heal. Ask Him to help you carry that burden. Ask Him to touch you in the place where the wound is still fresh and hurting and it shouldn't be. Ask the Lord and believe that He will. Believe that He'll answer. Believe that He'll minister His grace into your heart and into your mind. Our God is like this. He's a God of great compassion, sympathy towards His people. He's moved towards the hurting, the struggling, the suffering. Jesus Christ is still moved with compassion today. The Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, 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 today. And forever, right now, He's willing to heal your hurt. Right now, He's willing to to take that pain. Right now, you can come to Him, pour out your heart to Him, and tell Him things that you couldn't tell anyone else. Right now, you're able to draw near to the living God and be able to pour out your heart and express your need. And if you believe Him and if you'll let Him, He'll work grace into your heart. He'll give you strength to go on. He'll give you the help of the Spirit to minister soulless in that place of pain suffering Jesus is still moved with compassion just like he was in the Bible just like he was on Calvary's cross it was with great love and compassion that he went to that cross for you and for me he wasn't turned aside by the outburst of our rejections and our transgressions and our rebellions instead he continued on that he might die in our place and shed his blood for our sins He was driven by great love and compassion for lost humanity, hurting humanity, for you and for me. He went to the cross, despising its shame, bearing the blast of our punishment and the brunt of our judgment. They mocked Him. They insulted Him. They beat Him. They bruised Him. They falsely accused Him, yet He continued on, driven by that great love He has for you and for me. The nation disowned Him. The crowds left him, the disciples forsook him, but he continued on. He wouldn't be moved from that place where he could die for you and die for me and be the one that could heal us and forgive us and cleanse us and make us whole. May we forever be grateful and thankful for the great compassion of God as exhibited in the Lord Jesus Christ going to that cross, dying for us, and being alive right now to receive us and to comfort us and minister to us in the point of our need. Let me ask you this morning, do you appreciate what Jesus did for you on Calvary? And do you express that appreciation with your life each day? For it was on the cross that He made it possible, that He made the provision that whosoever will, whoever you are, You can come to God through Jesus Christ. Whoever you are, you can know forgiveness, eternal, everlasting, through Jesus Christ. Whoever you are, you can have the acceptance from God, the healing, the hope, the redemption, the rest. It's all found in Jesus Christ because of God's great love and the expression of His compassion through His Son and the cross of Calvary. May you and I forever be thankful for a compassionate Savior, that comes to where we are and lifts us up to where we need to be. And may we do our very best to imitate. And express. The compassion of Jesus Christ. To those he sends our way. In a hurting world where the hurting people hurt. Angry people express anger. Let us be tools of God. That are moved by our compassion. That can look beyond that. And be God's instruments of healing of hope, of ministry to others. Can you say amen? Amen. We see verse 19, Elijah's action. He takes the boy away from the rest. Remember, compassion leads to action. Compassion is more than just a sympathetic feeling or a tear in the eye. That's fine, but it has to lead us to do something. It has to lead us to give, to pray, to act, to move. Elijah, the man of God, silently climbs the stairs to the room where he had been doing battle. Before God on a regular basis. You know, it's good to have a place like that in your lives. It's good if you're able to have a place like that in your home. place where you go and do battle with God. Day in and day out, you meet with God. And you do battle with God. He tenderly places, tenderly places the body of the boy on the bed. And then he goes before God in prayer. Elijah was silent before the woman, but thank God he wasn't silent before God. <laughs> All alone in the secret place. Under the shadow of the Almighty. That's where we fight life's battles. That's where we fight the battles that really matter. That's where we go when the enemy's attacking. That's where we go when the family is hurting. That's where we go when the doctor's head is shaking in the secret place of the Most High where we can call on the Living God and come boldly before his throne of grace knowing that he hears and he cares and he still answers the prayers of his people. He's still the God that raises the dead. It might be a dead relationship. It might be a dead, um, um a dead, um what do you call it? A job. It might be a dead, um some kind of Heartache in your heart that seems like you can never get over, but oh, He is a God that raises the dead. He's a God that restores and a God that revives. He'll be a God that'll touch you and He'll heal you and He'll help you if you'll come to Him and call on Him and cast that burden upon the Lord. He will sustain thee in the shadow of the Almighty. That's where we battle with life's pressures and the Spirit's oppositions and family attacks and body afflictions. This woman had experienced the compassion of Elijah's love, but now she's getting ready to experience the capability of Elijah's Lord. How many know our God is able? How many know our God is able? He can move the mountain. He can give you strength to carry that mountain. He can remove the storm. He can give you strength to go through the storm the way a child of God goes through a storm. You see, there's a difference. Amen? Sometimes He moves us. Sometimes He gives us grace to go through it. But our God is an awesome God. Our God is a faithful God. Our God is a wonderful God. He's your God. He's your Heavenly Father. He's made His promises available to you. He's made His presence available to you. He's not out there somewhere. He's not far away. His arm is not too short that it cannot save. And His ear hasn't grown silent. He hears your prayers. He knows your heartache. He's willing to answer. He wants you to call. He wants you to believe this. He wants you to receive. He wants to show you His grace and His might and His power. Hallelujah! Nothing's too hard for our God. He specializes in impossible situations. And again, He can move the mountain or give us grace to go through the mountain. In the end, he wins. In the end, we win because we're with him. There's a story about a lady that came to the great preacher G. Campbell Morgan. He was a writer and a pastor from London, back in the last century. And she said to him, "I only take big things to God. I don't take little things to God." Well, his answer probably surprised her when he said, "Lady, anything you take to God is little." It might be big to us, but it's not big to God. Right? It might be big to me, it's not big to God. Amen? And I, I, and I read that, you know, let's keep that in mind. As we bring our request to God. It might be big to me, but it's not big to God. It might be complicated to me, it's not complicated to God. And He's the one I'm asking to work in it. May that inspire our faith as we ask and believe. We have no doubt of God's love and compassion. We have no doubt of God's love and compassion towards us. But here we have to grasp and really believe the fact that prayer, Bible pattern prayer, releases the power of God on the earth and in our situations. We serve a God that is able to work mightily, supernaturally, in people's lives and in people's circumstances. Lives that have been written off, He can work. Marriages that seem beyond repair, He can work. Bondages that seem unbreakable, again, He can work. Situations that seem irreversible, He can work. Yet, we learn from Scripture that it's usually through human instruments, men and women of faith, that the Lord does these mighty works and releases His power. God works mightily. But when you check with the book, it's usually through somebody's faith, somebody's prayer, somebody's effort, somebody's daring, somebody's sacrifice. Elijah was a godly man of passion and very effective prayer, but he was just a man. And if we'll give ourselves to do the will and the works of God, God will use our efforts. God will use your efforts. I don't have a degree. You don't need a degree. You just need faith in the living God. You just need to call on the living God. Amen? God will use your efforts of faith to release His power in the earth. Now, next time we get together, we want to look at the same title, The God That Raises the Dead. We want to look closer at His prayer. And we're going to pick seven principles or thoughts to help us improve and be more effective in our prayer life. But this morning, let's just close our service by calling on the Lord. Let's lay our need, our crisis, our care, and just cry out to the Lord. Let's approach the throne of grace. Jesus made that possible. Going to God's throne, you're welcome there. You're wanted there. You're not being rude. You're not knocking on someone's door At 10 o'clock at night, you know they've been asleep by 8. It's not, no, no, not God. When you go to the throne of grace, you're welcome and you're wanted. Jesus made the way. Are you a believer? Then you're welcome and you're wanted. Are you a son or daughter of God? Then you're welcome and you're wanted. So don't go there timid, wondering, he don't want, no, he wants to hear from you. Because he wants to show his power and glory in your life through you. So let's approach the throne of grace with bold confidence this morning. Let's pray to the Lord believing and expecting. Whatever your need is, let's lay it before the Lord. Whatever the crisis or the care is that you're carrying or you're facing, let's lay it before the Lord right now. And let's cry out like this prophet. Let's ask God to release His power and His resurrection life in our situation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our hearts and pray and believe God together. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. Oh God, we love you. Oh God, we thank you. You are a God that raises the dead. We thank you. Nothing's too hard for you. Father, we come before your throne of grace with a confidence and a boldness. We come in the name of Jesus. We come through the blood of Jesus. And we come with an expectation of faith knowing your heart, knowing your will, knowing that you have revealed your desire to heal, your desire your desire to save, your desire to mend, your desire to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, Father, we bring our needs to you this morning, whatever they are, Father. They might be physical, they might be emotional, it might be something in the family, it might be for someone else that's very close to me, Lord. It might be for a decision, it might be that I'm under attack. Father, whatever the needs are, we bring them before you and we lay them at your feet. And we ask you to work your good work in them. We ask you to release the working of your mighty power in them. We ask you to destroy the works of the devil and to release streams of your grace and your mercy, your healing power, your restoration power. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, let needs be met right now in Jesus' name. Let mountains be moved right now in Jesus' name. Let affliction cease, cease, cease. Stop it. In the name of the Lord Jesus, let that enemy be Silence, let that enemy be stopped, let that enemy be dispersed in the name of the Lord Jesus. And my God, may great peace, great peace. The peace of the Spirit begin to work in hearts, work in minds right now. Father God, may there be an inner healing, an inner working, an inner mending, an inner ministry. The comfort of the Spirit may it be in part of Father. I pray for those that are hurting on the inside. May your divine peace, the working of your Spirit, be imparted now to men, to make whole, to come, to help them, Lord. That those that seek it would find the wounded heart healer and the burden bearer this morning. Father, may burdens be lifted now. And may lives be strengthened. And hearts be refreshed. In the name of the Lord Jesus, Father, answer their cry. Fill them. Touch them. And in this upcoming week, use them as your instruments and your vessels to do your works in the earth. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Yeah, give Him a praise. Amen. <laughs> God is good. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Do it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have a wonderful week. We'll see you on Wednesday. God bless you.